Happy Palm Sunday, Bridgeway, and praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor William Jen, for helping us celebrate communion. And even on that Sunday when they were waving the palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, we know that just a few days later, they would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Thank you for reminding us about Holy Week. What a beautiful opportunity we had today to just worship the Lord and to reflect on him. Today is our fourth and final installment of our series called I Hope. Next week is Easter Sunday morning, and I sure hope that you will be celebrating with us at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or noon next Sunday, broadcast service only, but make sure you take the opportunity this week to copy the link and, and send it to your friends and your relatives, your family members. Let them know uh, they can celebrate Easter with us. And I'm so glad that what started on Palm Sunday didn't end on Crucifixion Friday, but it eventuated into Sunday morning where Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, bringing healing to all of us. And that is the name of our production next week, Healing. Now, today, as I end the series, our title is Fellowshipping with Others to Keep Hope Alive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, now, as we go into your word, we pray that your word would go into us. We commit our time together in the word of God. For it is in the name of Jesus, we pray. Together, everyone said, amen and amen. Well, you know, sharing in the ordinance of communion together is one of the ultimate ways of engaging in fellowship, solidarity, and Christian unity. In fact, in the scriptures, we are told that the first century church was committed to fellowshipping together and committed to breaking bread together. We find it in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want you to open the scriptures and go to Acts chapter 2 or pull it up on your pad or on your iPhone. We're going to read from verses 42 to 47 coming out of the NIV 1984. Listen to what it says about the first century church. As soon as the new church got together and the Holy Spirit came down and the inauguration of this first church that would carry on even to this day, we see that there was a commitment of doing religion together, doing a relationship with God together, having a walk with the Lord, but also a walk with one another. Check out what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The fellowship, the commitment, the Christian unity created such a magnetic force that the Lord added 
to the church daily those who were being saved. Jesus put it like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also said in John 13 that they will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. The Christian unity was so powerful that those who were outside of the Christian church were magnetically pulled toward that kind of unity. They didn't see fighting and they didn't see dissension. They didn't see the kind of brokenness that would make people think, well, that's just another religion. That's just another philosophy. That's just another political wrangling. No, there was something powerful. There was something special about the first century church that caused it to draw so many people in that daily people were being saved. The first century church was committed to growing together, and they discovered that fellowship was key to spiritual growth and Christian unity. Today, I want to talk to you about three ingredients to spiritual growth that will help you keep hope alive. Three ingredients to increase your spiritual growth and will help keep hope alive. The word of God, number one. The people of God, number two. And the spirit of God, number three. In order for you to grow spiritually, you have to have these three things. And I want to go quickly to, to share with you that when we have these things in our lives consistently, regularly, healthily, that when the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit, spirit of God works together, it increases our spiritual growth, and it helps us to keep our hope alive. Back to Acts chapter 2, right at the beginning in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. The apostles were the disseminators of God's word. These were men who had walked with Jesus and who were commissioned by him. They had the authority of Jesus' direct discipleship to fulfill the great commission that the Lord had given to them. And Jesus said to them before he ascended to heaven in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The apostles' teaching was the word of God. Now, you need to understand that the New Testament church didn't have a New Testament. The New Testament church didn't have a New Testament. The apostles' teaching was the word of God because they were called to teach what they had learned directly from Jesus himself. And if you want to grow spiritually and keep your Christian hope alive, then you must hear, read, meditate, memorize, and study the word of God. Let me say it again. If you want to grow spiritually and keep your Christian hope alive, then you must hear, read, meditate, memorize, and study the Word of God. These are five ways to engage the Word of God. I like to use the five fingers on my hand to memorize it. And it is Palm Sunday, right? So look at your palm. Look at your fingers. And start with the thumb. That's the first thing. Hear, 
the word of God. Your pointer, read the word of God. Your middle finger, meditate on the word of God. Your ring finger, memorize the word of God. And your pinky finger, study the word of God. First, we must hear the word of God. You see, if we're going to have God's word in our heart, and if we're going to live the life that Jesus wants us to live, he told them that they've got to teach what has been commanded. And so if I'm going to engage God's word in these five ways, I must first hear God's word. How can people hear without a preacher? And in order for people to know God's word, they have to, they have to hear it. So the apostles' teaching was men and women who are preaching the word of God. And when God's men and God's women are preaching the word, you want to bend your ear to make sure you hear God's word because it comes from the hearing that your faith begins to get activated. And so we must first be committed to hearing God's word from God's men, God's women. When God's word is spoken, this is not the time to turn your TV off. This is not the time uh, to, to start eating popcorn and, and drinking coffee and thinking about what you're going to do after church. When the worship of God goes up, that it, it invites you into the presence of God. And then as the service goes on, the communion, the breaking of bread, the poetic readings, this is all uh, moving our spirit to open our hearts. So when the word of God is dropped like a seed, it is dropped in good soil that will produce maturity and spiritual increase and spiritual growth and it keeps our hope alive because as long as there's life in us we can be alive but life comes from the seed the seed is the word of God God spoke the word and the word is life and God gives the power of life and death through the word and through the tongue and so we've got to sing the word we've got to we've got to hold on to the word and when the word of God is spoken we want to bend our ear and say, God, what are you trying to, to say to me? That's the thumb, but what about the pointer? Read the word. Think about opening up your, your Bible and, and going through, through each line. Read the word. Some people think it's easy to read God's word. I know a lot of people who started in Genesis and they never made it past Leviticus because you don't read the Bible from the first page to the last page. People try to read it through a year, and they can do that, but that's not how the book was created. It's 66 books written over three continents over a period of 1,500 years in three or four different languages through 40 or so generations. And so yet there are many different Writers, but there's only one author, God. And it's carried through all the different geographies and generations from time period to time period. So if you try to read it from the beginning to the end, it may not make a lot of sense, although there's one common theme, and that is the, uh, the, the redeeming hope of the Lord Jesus Christ for all humanity. It's the unfolding of the redemption story from beginning to end. But you ought to at least read one passage per day, but get on a scripture reading plan. In fact, Pastor Dan has developed a reading plan. You can find it on the website. Just go to bridgeway.cc and you'll see a reading plan if you don't have your own. Or pull out your phone and just download a reading app or an app so you can just read a scripture per day or it pushes a, a, a passage to you 
each day. Or you can do the Billy Graham model. I've done it for years. And that is you read one psalm and one proverb a day. And the proverbs have 31 days. And so one a day for each day of the month. But however you decide to go after the reading plan, the one thing you must realize is that as, as you read the word of God, you begin to inform yourself with data, with stories, and with learnings and lessons about the Lord. But you can't stop there. We hear the word, we read the word, but we must meditate on the word. Meditating on the word is, is repeating God's word in shorter phrases, chewing on it, and letting it seep and settle and simmer into your spirit. That's that middle finger. And the more you let the word settle in your spirit, the more your spirit will change. The more you use your middle finger to remember meditating on God's word, the less you'll use your middle finger in naughty ways. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee, says Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.15 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. In Psalm 1 and in Joshua, it teaches us that we are to meditate day and night. So we hear God's word. We read God's word. We meditate on God's word. Ring finger. We memorize God's word. Just like you put a ring, if you're married, on your left finger to remind you that you're still married. <laughs> and, and to remind other people that you're married. The ring is there to help our memory. And we've got to memorize God's word, which is different than meditating on it. You commit one or two verses to memory every week. You read it out loud to yourself. While meditating allows the word to seep into your spirit, memorization exercises the muscle of your mind for the purposes of recollection. Man, we can remember stuff. We can remember recipes. We can remember raps. We can remember phone numbers. We can remember poetry. But some of us just can't seem to memorize God's word because it takes discipline to do it. What memory verse are you working on this week? How about you consider that this is the week I'm going to choose one verse and I'm going to exercise my memory muscle to know God's word. Friends, we may not always have the internet. We may not always have connectivity. We never thought we'd be shut down for a year. You don't know when connectivity is going to go out. You should have a copy of the written scriptures as well. I'm not saying don't use a Bible app. But I'm saying, what happens when your battery uh, goes down and there's nowhere to charge it? Can you still open up the word of God and read it? Can you remember the address of two or three key Bible verses that you can turn to, highlight, underline? What would happen if we no longer had broadcast services and we no longer had the internet and somehow through terrorism we got shut down for a day or a week or a month? Would you still be able to have the word of God hidden in your heart and to be able to turn a page and go to a Bible verse? They didn't have the printing press back then. They didn't have a New Testament back then. The man or the woman of God would stand up to read the word like Ezra, and the people would stand up, and they would hear the word of the Lord. They would repeat the word of the Lord, and they would carry the word of the Lord in their hearts. 
we've become so lazy as believers that we, we have the word of God on a page, on a computer screen. But if anybody ever took all that away, we wouldn't even know the word of God. So we must memorize it. Lastly, think about the pinky. We must study God's word. This is when you go online or go to your books and you start studying doctrines of the faith. You start to look at parallel passages and parallel stories to see how one story and Daniel might connect to another story in Revelation. This is when you look at theological subjects with others and you study at Wednesday Night Alive when they're studying the book of Romans or Philippians. You can check out Wednesday Night Alive. It's free. It's online. Go to our website and find out when are they meeting and what theological subject or Bible passages are they reading? This is studying God's word, homework, writing it down. This is what I did last June 2020 when COVID hit. I did 10 Facebook Live Bible studies. And you can go on my Facebook page, at Anderson Speaks, and get to that date somewhere in May or June of, of 2020 and see the 10 Bible studies we did on everything from how to study the Bible to the end times of eschatology or the study of last things, the coming of Christ. You see, if we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to keep our hope alive, then we need three ingredients, and one is the word of God. Before I move on to the second one, let me just say, handle God's word. Think of your poem. Handle God's word. Study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, but rightly divides the word of truth. Rightly and correctly handles the word of truth. We must handle God's word. We must stand on God's word as our authority. All scripture has been given to us by God. It's God-breathed and it has been given to us. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is inspired and it's been given to us for teaching. That's know what to do. Righteousness. That's to know how to live. Correction. That's tell you when you're not living right. And training in righteousness to keep you right once you get right again. The word of God is necessary if we're going to grow spiritually and keep our hope alive. We've got to handle the word. We've got to stand on the word as our ultimate authority. We've got to declare God's word with our mouth. Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so, says Psalm 107.2. Open your mouth and speak God's word. Sometimes you've got to declare God's word to yourself as well as to others. We've got to walk in God's word. We've got to handle his word, stand on his authority. We've got to declare his word. We've got to walk in his word. We walk by faith and not by sight. And people who, who don't believe in the word of God are not going to walk in the word of God. But if you believe in God's word, then you must walk in that word by faith. And let me tell you, if you work the word, the word will work. But the word doesn't work for those who don't work it. Let me say it again. Because some people think if they just declare this, it's going to work. No, you got to work the word. You don't just declare it. You got to work it. You got to walk in it by faith. And if you work God's word long enough, it'll start working for you. Do you know anybody who gets upset because they feel like God's word doesn't work? The reason why is because they haven't been working God's word. 
They just took it off a shelf and said, okay, now I need God. Let me quote a verse. And then when it doesn't work, they're all upset. You've not been walking by faith. You've not been working God's word. But if you work God's word, God's word will work for you. If we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to keep our hope alive, then we need three ingredients. One is the word of God. Secondly is the people of God. Back to that verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the second half. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, now listen, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Fellowship is that, that word that you've probably heard before, koinonia, which means to share together in common. Christian fellowship at, the, at its core is about sharing together in common our need for salvation in Jesus, our uh, coming together to worship Jesus. Fellowship is, is the sharing of something in common with Jesus, and, and, and we do it with one another. But understand that fellowship at its core is sharing together, not just being together. Sometimes we think we're fellowshipping just because we're in the same room being together, but it's about sharing together, sharing our lives, sharing our stories, Sharing our common belief and trust and prayer in Jesus Christ. Communion reminds us of that union that we have with Christ and each other. And we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And we too will also share in the resurrection of the dead. The first century church knew that they needed each other to survive. There was no long ranger, lone ranger Christian uh, in the first century church. They were family, friends. They were a community. And in order to keep hope alive, we realize that fellowship and family are often intertwined. In fact, look at how this bore itself out in Acts chapter 4. We were in Acts 2, but check out Acts chapter 4 and listen to what it says. In verse 32, check this out. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any one of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Look at that. That wasn't socialism. That was new community. That was fellowship and family. That was saying if we're going to be together, we're going to share together. And sharing is not just about our testimony for Jesus and our relationship with him, but to make sure that if I'm eating and you're not, then what I have, I will share with you. We become so individualistic, I think, in our Western culture that we have literally diminished the definition of family to a mom, a dad, and 2.5 children. But the biblical culture, the Middle Eastern culture, the African culture, and many other cultures define family in a much broader way. Family included parents and aunts and uncles and cousins a tight-knit family community, family tribes, and community upbringing was the norm. 
And as a Christian family, we are one body. We're called to live together as brothers and sisters. And a part of keeping hope alive is that we are together. You see, hope wanes over time. And we need the word of God and we need the people of God to help keep hope alive. Why? Because hope lives in community. Here's a practical application. If you've been attending church and now you want to get deeper in fellowship, then sign up for a campus email. Go to bridgeway.cc and say, I want, to, I want to get more connected. Send me the email so I know what's happening. And you'll learn how you can join a men's group, a men's Bible study, a woman's group. We have a, a women's ministry. We have a men's ministry. We have life groups. We have sermon conversation groups. Even after today's sermon, groups of people that will meet to talk about what the sermon means and how they can apply it to their life. Or tomorrow they have a, a sermon conversation group. Go online and say, how can I get connected? And listen, if for some reason you can't navigate your way, just go to the website and send an email and say, please help me get connected. What have we said so far? We said there are three ingredients to help you grow in your faith and keep hope alive. One is what? Say it. The word of God. Two is what? Say it. The people of God. And three is what? The spirit of God. You got to have the spirit of God. Now, in these same passages in Acts chapter 2 and, and following, when we see the first century church, they weren't alone just with the, 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 the word of God and the people of God, and that was important. But what made this Christian unity so powerful, what made it so powerful is that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Let me just read a few verses quickly. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, listen, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you see, what you now see and hear. Wow. Check out Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 31, which I read a bit earlier, but it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. Let me give you one more. In Acts chapter 9, it says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by, listen, the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Listen, friends, bottom line is we need the Holy Spirit, just like we need water. I'm reminded of an illustration of spaghetti in a box. Have you ever seen a picture of spaghetti in a box? You know, it, it's basically all together in a box, but it's all rigid and hard. We would say that that uncooked spaghetti was together, but not unified. To unify it, we need what? We need water and fire. And when the water is, is heated, it causes the spaghetti to cook to come together, to depend on one another. It is now intertwined and flowing because of the heated water and that same spaghetti, which once was together in a box, uniformed, is now together, unified. 
You see, God is not just calling us to have a Christianity that's uniform. You can go to a lot of churches where people are uniform. They look alike. They speak alike. They dress alike. They act alike. But God didn't call us to be spaghetti in a box, uncooked, that's uniformed. God is calling us to be unified. And in order for that spaghetti to come unified, it needs water and it needs heat. And so what we need to do is ask God to pour the whole Holy Spirit on us to heat up the water in our life so we can look like that spaghetti that's all intertwined, mixed together, flexible, and flowing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit like fire and water to be poured out on us so that we can come together, grow together, depend on one another. Then we'll see thousands being added to our numbers daily. Then we'll keep hope alive. Then we will see miracles of God by the Spirit of God poured out on the people of God who are living and loving according to the Word of God, all for the glory of God. Friends, as a practical application, pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on your lives. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on your families. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on your sons and on your daughters and on your grandchildren. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on our church, on every ministry, on every ministry leader, on every clergyman, on every clergywoman, on every elder, on every elder council of women, on every ministry champion, on every child and bridge kids, on every technician, on every musician. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out so that we would flow like that spaghetti, so the fire of God would fall on us like in Acts chapter 2. Pray that the Holy Spirit fills our homes. I pray that the Holy Spirit fills your car right now, fills your apartment right now, fills your living rooms right now, fills your bedrooms right now, fills your office right now, fills your marriages right now, fills your friendships right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on your investments right now on your ventures right now, on your going out and your coming in, there's power in the name of Jesus. And I pray that the power of the name of Jesus and that the power of the Holy Spirit and that the Word of God, the people of God, the Spirit of God would operate in your life to another dimension. So when you come out of COVID, you'll come out with a new level of connection with God, a new level of connection with God's people that you will not be the same as when you went into COVID, that you will come out at another level, that you will not only keep hope alive, but that you'll begin to inspire hope in other people. So I pray Romans 15, 13 over you now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in the powerful, mighty, matchless, unparalleled, great name of Jesus. 
Amen and amen.